2: On caught offside.
0: Ronaldo! Oh, it's come off guard! Ronaldo! Prisoner in front! It's Ronaldo! And Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! And it for Kansa! And Germany are the champions of the world. It's my God! Now,
2: here are your hosts, Andrew and JJ. Oh, yes! Caught offside from just outside of New York City, from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney, here we
1: go. The World Cup previews begin. What's up, brother? Part one of our World Cup previews. It's insane. I can't wait to get started, but there's another part of me, like in the back of my brain, my, my brain that is tied forever to Perfidious Albion is telling me, why am I not talking about Leeds United and their trip to White Hart Lane? Why am I not talking about Garnacho's late winner for Manchester United? And why am I not talking about Ronaldo having an absolute meltdown um, and going scorched earth with his best buddy, Piers Morgan? This is the problem right now. It's
2: like the new the, the new cycle of the sport has collided with like multiple factors and elements of the game and it's like you don't know where to turn right now like you're right I I don't know how how to not talk about some of what went on in the Premier League maybe over the course of this podcast we'll kind of sprinkle in uh some things here and there because it was a crazy weekend man City losing at the death like you said Tottenham leads 4-3 another like just like the ultimate Spurs performance just like typified in this past weekend of just like going down but then finding a way it's just crazy and yeah everything with ronaldo just unbelievable but but i mean once every four years a world cup happens and everything must
1: stop for a world cup
2: that's how usually it is usually
1: we usually we have a run into it i will tell yeah. you right now i'm gonna enjoy this preview pod. i think everyone's gonna enjoy it but we're not the only ones to be feeling the absolute pressure of this, of this world cup right on top of us very, very quickly. We usually have much more time than this.
2: Oh yeah. No, like the buildup for this has, it's been tricky to navigate because there's so much happening in club football. This, Like we know, we've talked about it. This is, this is obviously unprecedented. We're all doing the best we can to make this work. Uh, and I think this is going to be really fun. So over the course of this week, We're going to bring you tonight, obviously, uh, we're giving you the contenders. We're going through the teams that we kind of consider to be the the top, the number one contenders for the crown for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. So we'll go through those with you. Um, Then check your feeds early Wednesday morning. We're going to kind of dive into some of the dark horses. We'll hit up some of the CONCACAF teams aside from the U.S. Uh, So look for that midweek. Later in the week, We'll do a World Cup mailbag special, so everyone out there, get the tweets rolling in now. Animals on Reddit, get your threads going right now, because we're going to try to get to as much as we possibly can over the course of that. Some of your questions, if you start if they start rolling in now, we'll inevitably answer some of them, I'm sure, over the course of this podcast and the next one. But still, get them all in there, and we'll do the best we can. Uh, and then the big one, JJ, obviously, I mean, Monday for the... The tournament begins on Sunday, but for U.S. fans, the day that we've waited for for the last eight years occurs Monday against Wales. Sunday night, unprecedented in the history of the podcast, we're going to go live on YouTube, a live stream. We're aiming for 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern time Sunday night. So we hope all of you out there subscribe to the Caught Offside YouTube channel um, and join us, please. Please, please, turn please. Turn your make
1: notifications that... on.
2: Yes, turn the notifications on, subscribe to the channel, and help us make that night as much fun as possible as we dive into every element of the u.s uh on that podcast on the eve of our return to world cup play so this week is is it all this is just the beginning over the course of the tournament obviously we'll be giving you extra content all throughout um but we figure we'll just take you through this week first we'll take it one week at a time and it
1: uh it begins now my friend with the contenders are you pumped you excited I'm very excited. Just remember, guys, all the links to the places you need to subscribe will be in the description of this podcast. So get over there, rate, review, turn your notifications on. You'll be ready for Sunday then. I'm so pumped, Andrew. I've been, I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah.
2: And just know if those links are not in the description of this podcast, take solace in the fact that JJ has probably berated me by now. And if you check again in like a couple hours, they'll be there because he will have bullied me into, uh, into putting them back in.
1: To quote Roy Keane, do your job. Just do your No, you're job. right.
2: I forgot one time I was uh, humiliated both privately and publicly for it, and um, I'll never forget again. It's as simple as that. But th- it's like the old Jerry Seinfeld joke when like, he talks about how you do one thing wrong one time, and it stays with you with certain people for the rest of your life. He said when he was like in third grade, he left his jacket on the bus. He'd go <laughs> home to visit his parents as a 40-year-old man. His mom would look at him and say, don't
1: forget your jacket it stays with you forever that is that is the thing you remembered forever uh for and um i can't think of a good segue into what we're about to do now but maybe there's I, I, some if, if we're
2: doing this pod in 30 years jj will still be saying to me as i when i post the links don't forget to put up the youtube link if i start I talking like that. that
1: you have every right to crack me in the skull
2: <laughs> will do i'll remember that as well here we go the contenders this is it these are these are the big boys So here's how we went about it. This was not for, I decided the best way to do this was to remove subjectivity um, because I don't trust myself and my opinions. I need the experts to guide me. (laughs) And so that's what I've done here. I basically just went to DraftKings and identified the nations that have odds of plus 1,000 or better to win this World Cup. And I identified those countries as the top contenders. There are six of them. Um, there's two others just barely outside of that window who we will address at the end, um, or three others just outside of that window who we will address at the end. But there are six countries right now on DraftKings that have odds of plus 1,000 or better. Brazil are plus 400, Argentina plus 500, France are plus 700, England are plus 850, Spain are also plus 850, and then Germany are right there on the line at plus 1,000. So are you ready to dive in? We'll go right in order one through six. You ready for this? Yeah, let's do it. So we start, JJ, with the overall favorite, Brazil. Only, uh, their only loss in the last two years, one loss in the last two years was the Copa America final in 2021 to Messi's Argentina. Um, but they haven't won a World Cup since 2002, which for them is a significant amount of time. In fact, if they do not win this World Cup, then I believe it will tie their longest drought ever um, when they get around to 2026. So they're not used to this. And this is a team that I think has all the potential in the world to end that drought. Now, a World Cup is a crazy thing. Who knows how things will go? But I think they are,
1: they are worthy overall
2: favorites, I would say.
1: I definitely think so. You made me think back, 1970 to 1994, mm-hmm. 24 years. That's a stretch for Brazil. And this, yeah. will be a, this will be a significant stretch, too. They are loaded. If you're not excited about Brazil, you, you have not been paying attention.
2: Yeah. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to go through a bunch of different elements of each of these teams, but I want to start with a cool moment uh, for each of them to kind of get you excited about it. So I've identified now here's where I have brought subjectivity back into the equation. I personally have identified what I feel is the greatest World Cup moment for each of these countries. Yeah. And you tramped all over what
1: I do on this
2: podcast, which is the history stuff i love history don't act like yeah. i'm just some like living in the moment don't care about anything that happened yesterday kind of guy that's not me you were spawned out of gareth bale's man bun in 2010 that is a lie that is a bold face lie all right i was spawned out of clint dempsey's i don't know where would one come from let's not even, let's let's not even go any deeper um so here we go i'm gonna hit for you right now jj what i have identified as the greatest world cup moment in brazil's history by the way this is a hard thing to identify because they've got a few (laughs) they have a few to choose from but here's what i have picked that's right the legend himself pele his first goal in the 1958 world cup final um, flicked it over the defender and then volleyed it home it was Brazil's first World Cup, still kind of in the shadow of the disaster of 1950 when they lost to Uruguay at the Maracanã. Um, and it was kind of the moment. I mean, obviously, you know, he at Santos and with the national team, Pele had started to certainly create a, a huge reputation for himself. But I'd say when he did that, it was sort of the pronouncement to the world that this like oh my God, what, what are we looking at here in route to what was going to become arguably the greatest career the sport has ever seen. So for me, that's that was it. Not an easy choice, although in the end, I feel that it is the correct choice.
1: Well, i gone for Carlos Alberto's goal, uh, the fourth goal of the 1970 World Cup final where the ball goes down to the left-hand side. It's centered by Jairzinho to Pele. Pele almost stops and rolls the ball nonchalantly into his path outside of the right boot. Boom, bottom corner. Probably... The most famous Brazil team of the period and how we remember them. So um, I I just disagree with you completely, but here we are. Completely. You disagree that maybe the
2: greatest moment of Pele's career and Brazil's first ever World Cup final in what would become the most dominant reign in World Cup history. You believe that you, you disagree strongly that that could be the greatest moment in in Brazil's history. Okay, I don't.
1: I'm just mad. I'm just mad that uh, you didn't allow me to do this part of the podcast. Anyways, Mm -hmm. to the future. Or the present, my friend. Let's now move forward from 1958
2: to present day, 2022. And let's talk about this Brazilian team. Like I said, the overall favorites. And let's start with the good for them. Uh, Their greatest strength. And and again, not an easy thing to choose from on this team. There are strengths all over the place. I guess for me... (sighs) Uh, you kind of you almost have no choice jj like neymar Vinicius, gabriel jesus rafinha rodrigo the real madrid one richarlison pedro gabriel martinelli anthony this attack this attack is ridiculous 40 goals in 17 qualifying matches so if you do the math here jj that's 2.35 goals per game for comparison's sake they averaged 2.27 in the previous qualifying cycle 1.83 in the cycle before that 1.94 in the cycle before that so even by brazilian standards they are scoring goals at nearly an unprecedented rate over the course of the last 20 to 25 years this is this is not just some brazilian attack this is this is a special one
1: uh yeah i I totally agree with that i i kind of went slightly different than you i just said the general depth and scale of talent in midfield and attack like Fabinho, Casemiro, Bruno Guimarães and then your Neymar, Vinicius Jr, Gabriel Jesus like you said like they're they're unbelievably stacked in those key areas of midfield and attack and it's interesting because we we talked to Tim Vickery uh for our YouTube channel um you guys if you haven't listened to that yet you'll get the total lowdown on Brazil there and and you know one of the things he said was that uh, this is a team that is absolutely so exciting and has cruised through qualifying in a way that you know they wanted the tournament. the The, the minute qualifying was over, Brazil were ready for this tournament. They just wanted to keep going. They've been absolutely stellar. So um, when you just look at the names, it's it's absolutely overwhelming. Um, and and Tim reckons they are going to be so much fun. Now whether fun means they win the tournament completely or not I don't know but they're the they're the absolute roaring hot favorites. That
2: is true. That's a good point that like fun does not always necessarily equal success. Like I think about you know kind of like the the Portugal team that won the Euros, you know, and, and especially the approach that they had against France in the world in the European Championship in, in the final of that competition. So, yeah, sometimes like sometimes pragmatism r- rules the day, but I mean, well, we're not making picks yet, but put it this way, I would not I would not fault anyone for going right to this Brazilian side and making that their pick for this tournament. Because um, cause like we just said, I mean, we just rattled off the names that certainly at just one end of the field, and they're loaded. Now, you know, w- so we agree there. There's not really much of a need to go much deeper on their strengths. But uh, what about the other side,
1: though? Any obvious weaknesses on this squad? There's... There's a couple of things. and So the first thing for me is that that Chiche himself may may create a weakness. So who's going to start alongside Marquinhos at centre-back? Now, the choice in my mind would be for it to be Militao. But that's probably not going to be the case. It's going to be Thiago Silva. Now, not for one second am I saying Thiago Silva is not an excellent footballer. He is, but he's also 38. And a guy who's not had tremendous success at World Cups. For Brazil of late I'm not saying anybody has but him in particular um, so I'm not sure if that is creating a problem at centre back the The other thing um, and it came up in our conversation Tim told me that this team presses more than any Brazilian team has done before so if, if it's the case that it, it presses that means it's going to probably be playing with a higher line it's defence is going to be move up are you sure you're going to want that amount of space in behind Thiago Silva? I don't yeah, think you do.
2: It's a good point because yeah. like you, you, have to think about how teams are going to be approaching Brazil. Like, don't you feel like most teams are going to not go against Brazil and be kind of and be scared? Like, I don't know if that's the right word, but like teams are going to go into that game knowing that they're probably not going to see a ton of the, of possession and they're probably going to have to beat them on the counter. And so you're right, like if there is space behind Thiago Silva, it will allow, you know, speedy wingers and players like that to maybe get in behind on
1: a quick counter attack, And that, that could potentially be dangerous. And, and again, not to disparage any South American teams, but Brazil have struggled. When they've hit the buffers in World Cups of late, it's been against European opposition. And so how will this new system that they've implemented that has been greatly a great success, how is that going to work out? against more sophisticated teams in the world cup so those two areas and i've got another area but i don't want to cannibalize oh. our next question
2: okay well before we get to that though i did want to say like your point about tiago silva is kind of the one that i look at as well
1: um
2: and again I, I like you i kind of feel kind of feel bad saying that like he's he is a good player um but you talk i mean you spoke to tim vickery about it he wrote about it as well he i know he talked about you know tiago silva playing in a back three for chelsea how will that translate to his playing in a back four with brazil he wrote that saying uh, opponents will certainly test this probing the space between him and the left back where argentina scored the goal that won last year's copa america and handed brazil their last defeat Um, so look ultimately there's not a ton of weaknesses on this brazilian side so if we're going to talk about weaknesses like it's all, it's going to be nitpicking. Like, I don't know that this is a true weakness. Most teams would probably love to have this as their weakness, but for this Brazilian side, if if there's an area of vulnerability, I suppose that uh, it would be that I think you and I agree. So, okay. Moving on then, JJ, was there any team selection decision here with this Brazilian team that surprised you?
1: The omission of Roberto Formino, who okay. is in not perfect. Nothing's been perfect for Liverpool, but pretty good form for Liverpool. And again, in our conversation with Tim on YouTube, one of the things that came up was, what happens if Neymar picks up yellow cards, has to be has to be taken out of the side or is suspended or even worse, worst-case scenario, picks up an injury? What can you do to replace someone like him? How can you get someone into the side? And Firmino can come in and do so many things and be a, a kind of an attacker uh, that that falls nine he can drop deep he can get involved in the midfield play he's such a, a great utility player that it seems it seems wrong that he's not in the squad and tim says it's a mistake and it could cost brazil that's interesting i
2: mean it it, it feels like they've been kind of gearing up for this moment right i mean he hasn't he hasn't featured for them since that Copa America final, I believe. So maybe they they have been transitioning out. I don't know. The point you make about Neymar is an interesting one. Like, should something happen? Um, what is plan B? Uh, look, you're right. It was jarring to me as well that Firmino wasn't included because we, because we see him week in, week out with Liverpool. Like, we're watching those games and we see how good he's been. But... I mean, look, losing Neymar will hurt and it would hurt if Firmino was the one who stepped in. I do think that there's depth there where like we see we see what Gabriel Jesus is doing right now as playing down the middle. If he has Vinicius to one side, Rafinha to the other, like I still I still think that that's among the best attacks that this tournament has to offer. Uh I don't know if I would feel differently one way or another, if it was Firmino in that role, as opposed to one of the guys I just mentioned there, like I still think, I don't know, I guess I'm saying, I don't know that I fully, fully buy that. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, that was the eye-opening one. Um, anything else on this Brazilian side? I do have some trivia before we get out, but, uh,
1: do you have any other thoughts on this team before we move on? No, I just, I'm, I'm tremendously excited. And, um, and I, I suppose one one other point that Tim made was don't think of, of their fullbacks in the way we used to think about fullbacks. You know, Cafu and guys bombing up and down the line. He's talking about a system that's a little bit more sophisticated with the fi- fullbacks inverted, sometimes dropping into midfield to create, well, create more numbers, to create more passing opportunities, things like that. So so this is a team that I they have the grand... Br- Brazilian tradition of fun and attacking football, but it's it's got a few tweaks in it, and it's it's going to be so so interesting to see how that's going to work out against the biggest teams. What's your trivia, sir?
2: Well, before I get to that, if, if I'm just curious, what you would say for this? I'll I'll ask you this probably for every team that we go through, but for this one in particular, I think I know the answer. But if I just asked you, who's the best player on this team? Is it is it simple? Is it just like quick reflex? Neymar, boom, moving what? on. Or or is there is it more to it than that?
1: Well, the the best player on the team is Neymar. If you're asking me who the most important player might be, that might also be Neymar. Neymar plus maybe Bruno Gamares, uh, the goalkeeper, Alisson Becker, and uh, Fred. We're not saying Fred anymore. We're saying Fred. Um, and that may come as a shock to some people, but when he pulls on that, that yellow jersey for Brazil, Fred is a different, different class of player and has become kind of really important to that midfield. So Neymar, yes. Neymar second, and then all the rest.
2: Yeah. Uh, Neymar two goals shy of Pele's national team record. So at some point over the course of this tournament, Brazil may have a, uh, a new leader in that category. All right. So for each of these, JJ, I've compiled some trivia. You know how much I enjoy this. Oh, I don't. <laughs> hey, look,
1: you're the one touting your, uh, your history credentials. So No, it, it's not touting credentials. It's just the, the division of labor has always been, I get the interesting nuggets from the past and you do other more mundane things yeah. yeah i suppose that's fair
2: but one of those things that i do is is present you with trivia now i'll say this yes. some of these are not hard now that actually adds pressure to you because it makes it seem like you're some kind of buffoon if you can't get these but <laughs> you may walk away from some of these being like that what kind of questions are these this is a joke um so are you ready i think this first one might fall into that category but they might they might get progressively harder here we go um All right. The last time Brazil won the World Cup, JJ, of course, was in 2002 when they beat Germany 2-0. Who scored Brazil's goals that day? Uh, Ronaldo. That's correct. Now, that was very easy. But, okay, as a follow-up to that, who was Brazil's keeper that day?
1: Um, Dida.
2: No, it was Marcos.
1: Marcos. Oh, yeah,
2: the shaven-headed guy. Uh, It was Marcos. All right. uh, A couple more here for you. Um, All right, Brazil, of course, quite possibly the greatest soccer nation of all time, but in World Cups, this nation appears to have their number, beating them three times in five appearances against them.
1: Three times in five appearances against them.
2: They also drew one as well. So in five games that Brazil has played against this team, they've only beaten them one time. Like, not in a final? No, 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 just over the course of the history of the World Cup. Um it's not france is it no was that your guess italy no the netherlands oh yeah the netherlands uh and then finally jj this player's 20 world cup match appearances are the most in brazil's history
1: 20 yeah world cup appearances Mm -hmm.
2: for one player Um, it's not romario no, what is this? It's not this guy. The, what am I supposed to do with that? Is that a guess? Is that like you trying to trick me into like thinking that that's it's not honestly, a guess? I don't know. It's Cafu. Oh, okay. It's Cafu. Should have
1: got him. Mentioned him earlier. Yeah, you did. You did, didn't you? Uh,
2: but you didn't mention him when it counted. Kind of a rough <laughs> start. We'll see where this goes.
1: <laughs> what a dick. You're being such a dick. By the way, yeah. you don't get away out of Brazil just like that. Okay. We are, we are reviving a feature that people liked, but we are reviving, reviving it sans the music for copyright and intellectual copyright purposes. And Andrew's deep fear of legal action being taken against this fledgling podcast. All true. So, so uh, we've decided that we're not putting the music in, guys, but we will be telling you the number one song in the country is featured on tonight's podcast. And that is in Brazil right now. I e gusto assim. The song is by Gustavo Mioto and Mary Fernandez. It's a duet, Andrew. It's a duet. It's an absolute earworm. Not quite a ballad, but it's got a nice tempo and even an electric accordion in it. Oh, and yeah. I believe it translates. I uh, e gusto asim translates to "I like it like this," which could mean some kind of uh, lovemaking technique or the way you do the dishes. I like it like this. So. um Give it a listen on YouTube or Spotify. One of the things you will notice is when you try to find the number ones, it's so hard these days because there's streaming, yeah. there's Shazam. So I've gone to the billboard for each country. Okay. And I, I think that's the most accurate. So that uh, you can give them a listen on, on Spotify. Also, you'll notice on YouTube, like none of these videos have less than like 265 million views. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. So, Igusto Asim. Gustavo Mioto and Mari Fernandez, number one in Brazil. I used to love when we would do that. Came across some just great songs over the
2: years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So that was Brazil, JJ, the overall favorite of this tournament. So now we move to the second favorites, also in South America, a Bowl Nation. The global power who may enter this tournament as the sentimental favorite, perhaps. Argentina, JJ. Um, So now... It, this is the nation predicted by EA Sports to win this World Cup, which obviously doesn't matter, but it also kind of does, considering EA Sports has correctly predicted each of the last three World Cup winners, which is <laughs> kind of weird. I mean, it's not like like bizarre teams have won those World Cups, so I guess they had a, a, a good shot, but still, that's it's not an easy thing to do, and Argentina was the winner in this one. By the way, I should tell you, the U.S. did very well in the EA Sports uh, simulation. I think they got to the quarterfinals, and I think Pulisic had five goals in the tournament. Just just saying just mentioning you love that oh would you yeah. love that i'd I, would you sign up for that i don't mean to to like <laughs> immediately steal this from argentina and turn this into a u.s preview but i, I just can't help it but would you sign up for that right now if i told you hey guess quarter what finals. u.s goes to the quarterfinals Polisic has five goals in the tournament quarterfinals with bells on absolutely There'd be some fun moments along the way if that happened. But back to Argentina, JJ. No one enters this tournament riding higher than them right now. They're in the midst of a 35-match unbeaten run, which of course includes winning the 2021 Copa America in Brazil, in the Maricana. So they are in their moment right now. Now, like we did with Brazil, let's start with their greatest World Cup moment, JJ, and we go to this.
0: But we haven't been able to control the play in midfield the way that Maradona has been able to do. That
2: one. that's right the goal of the century maradona weaving his way through the england midfield and defense scoring his second goal of the game and maybe the most memorable goal
1: in world cup history i think so i think it that might would be. be my that would be my pick anyways absolutely I mean, and what, um, yeah what goals what goals are more memorable than that one maybe the goal he scored mean, earlier
2: in that game the hand of god but I'll take this one over that one any day of the week
1: that one it's just the epitome of what he was as a player you know everything the low center of gravity his ability to beat players and then the finish oh absolutely i would have picked that one you got that one right you've got jj's seal of approval
2: well thank you it means absolutely nothing to me but i'll take it uh all right greatest strength for argentina um I mean well I'll let you start it. with this.
1: Oh well, is it well it's Lionel Messi. Yeah. They have the greatest player in the world in scintillating goal scoring and creative form. 7 goals in tennises for PSG. Uh we believe he's in a much better place mentally than Russia 2018 where like even the national anthem seemed to diminish him into an emotional mess. Was it against Iceland, Andrew, where they were all, you know, standing up for the the Argentinian national anthem and he's just kind of he just looks spaced out or not quite there or in some yeah. kind of a torpor i mean it's easy um, to
2: it's almost easy to forget he retired from yes. international play after the 2016 copa america centenario like
1: he oh yeah away the, after that international football has uh, did a number on him for many many years but i would say it feels now since he has the copa america medal in his back pocket that there's there's kind of a there's a cam over him. It, it was a relaxed. freeing it was a freeing moment for him. It has to it had to have been. And um I spoke to Roy Nemmer of uh, Mundo Albiceleste the Argentinian yeah. football uh, website. Spoke to him today that video is dropping on Tuesday on YouTube. Get on it. And he said that um not only is it just like a more relaxed Messi, there's more togetherness in the squad. They went on vacation together after the Copa America. And um and all the questions that we had going into Russia 2018, like, who's the other two that's going to play up front with, with Messi? How is that going to work out? Um, remember that, that whole controversy that they've tried everybody with them and it's all these auditions and it hasn't worked out. Right. That, that stuff's kind of gone away. It's
2: gone. That stuff's gone. Like, they're, they're pretty solidified. The, the vacation thing, I love that. Like, I, the vibes, vibes matter. At these things, I really believe that we've and always you're a heard vibes that. guy. You I am. love the vibes because, like, for me, look, everyone's different. There are some people who can be on a team, and like that team can function whether guys like each other or not. Like that is a thing. For me, I'm somebody where like the atmosphere around a team or a work environment, in that way, to me, that matters. Like that would have an effect on me and my performance. So I'm a you yes, don't a thrive vibes in
1: tension. Guy. What's that? You don't thrive in tension. Um, I prefer harmony. If that's what you're saying, well, it seems like Argentina have got that.
2: Yeah, um, and you know, I, so you you talk about the guys who are playing next to him, um, because yeah, I agree with you. The greatest strength, like it's almost irresponsible. I feel like to say anything other than Messi, um, and that attack with him, Di Maria, and Latura Martinez has has thrived, um, and with that in mind. I kind of wanted to talk about Angel Di Maria in that triumvirate because like, it's very interesting, JJ, like the, the Anglocentrics among us, which, which would include you and I, by the way, hear that name. And like, there's just kind of a certain connotation that's applied to it because of his failed time at Manchester United. It was a disaster. Um, it was sort of like the beginning of a downward spiral for United. He cost a lot of money. So he's, there's a lot of faces that are applied to that spiral, but he's one of them. And um, his wife slagged Manchester off recently. Just couldn't wait to get out of there. Um, but, like, I think I think you have to, like, zoom out a little and understand that when it comes to Di Maria, like, that stint at United is the exception. That is not the rule. He's a brilliant player, and he's been vital for uh, the other clubs he's played for and specifically for his country. The, the 2021 Copa America title, like, that was seen... We're talking about it now. Like, that was Messi's triumph. It was a freeing experience for Messi. Um, it, it changed the way it, in many ways how we view him he was already the world's best player but there was always that hole in his resume that filled it but like remember it was Di Maria who scored the winning goal in that game and like then in the finalissimo versus Italy at Wembley it was Latura Martinez and Di Maria along with the stoppage time I guess exclamation mark from Dybala but like it was those guys that provided the scoring in that game it wasn't Messi so like yes Messi is the strength what they're going to do in this tournament will probably revolve largely around the sort of form that he's in, but they are not a one man show, especially up front. And uh, yeah, so I I do think that it is important to remember that when talking about them. Um, No, I I told,
1: I, I do agree with you, but let's not be, let's not be anything other than real. A happy, contented best player in the world is going to make a heck of a difference. Of course, of course, that is true.
2: And so with that,
1: um, any obvious weakness with this squad? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, like I said, spoke to the Argentinian football expert. He said, I'm not allowed to use Nicolas Otamendi as an easy weak point um, based on, we we'll said, the latter years at Manchester City, where he did seem to be a bit of an accident waiting to happen. Um, I'm sure many people will focus on him, but when he plays for Argentina, he's much more together and uh, and collective. Uh, are collected with Christian Romero right back might be an issue. Um, And another issue that's come up is that central midfield without the injured Giovanni Lacelso. Yeah. That's a question mark. So those, those kind of, those two areas, they really kind of stand out as, as, as being problematic for, for Argentina.
2: Yeah, that was mine. Like, Again, I don't know that there's an obvious weakness, but if I again, if I'm nitpicking, and Tottenham fans will find it weird to hear, but the Lo Celso thing is interesting only because, like, I I think for them it has clicked. Like we talk about the vibes, but like I was reading up on it, and he's beloved in that room apparently, um, and that midfield trio of Lo Celso, Leandro Paredes, and Rodrigo De Paul, like they they have established some great chemistry over the last two years. It's been those three guys, and they. Like they have controlled the midfield. I just wonder removing one from the equation. Like it shouldn't necessarily cause a house of cards to come tumbling down. But it's but it might. But it's certainly something to keep an eye on if it changes chemistry in some way. So uh, yeah, like I said, Tottenham fans will raise an eyebrow because he has not produced that kind of form during his time at Spurs. But it's been different for him at Argentina where he has clicked. And so it's again, I don't know that alarms are alarm bells are ringing, but it's it's something to watch for. Um, at this world cup JJ any uh anyone in the, in or not in the team selection that surprised you
1: not I have to say not really yeah I neither. thought that I thought that Paulo Dybala's injury might be a factor like the hamstring has kept him out for so long now he did get 20 minutes today uh for Roma but it seems like a bit of a risk when he's been out for so long but other than that like not really yeah I mean Christian Romero also has not been playing
2: for Tottenham of late um, I'm I'm not applying it to these guys specifically. I'm just going to choose this moment to bring it up. Now, if we're talking about players who have been out, but who are going to be playing at the World Cup, you know, it has it's been kind of like an underlying thing over the last month or so. Our players, our players, t- being careful now so as to ensure their availability for the World Cup. Do you
1: do you buy that? um i i i'm it's got to be i i've seen some players this weekend absolutely throw themselves around the place um and then i've seen i kinda it's hard for me not to think that some in their minds are it's gotta be there in one week's time i'm I'm at the greatest tournament in the world, and this is the end of a league game there's other games I can play in the league the world yeah. cup is is once in a lifetime sometimes for a player's career so I don't want to question anybody's professionalism, but I would very much be of the mindset that if there's a 50-50 challenge going for a guy who's nailed on to go to the World Cup or has been included in a squad, that maybe, I don't know, maybe he goes easy. I I hate being cynical like that, but it's very difficult. It's just a week. It's not like it's two weeks or a month. It's one week. Of course it's going to be in their minds. Unless they really aren't that bothered and they just take every game as it comes.
2: Or some athletes are just wired differently. Like once they're on the field, they just like animal instincts take over and like no, there's no rational thought. But not everyone's like that.
1: Well, no. But like look at, look at Brendan Aronson. Look at the way he ran around at the weekend. Like there's, yeah, there's I was n- watching days- Anthony
2: Robinson today thinking the same thing. I yeah. was telling
1: him to slow down. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't. And, and when Christian Pulisic came on, he had, I think he had the most amount of successful take-ons of anybody on either side. Like, in, so like it's, in like
2: a fifteen minute cameo,
1: and you know, you go dribbling. There's a good chance you're getting hacked. Like if he if he was trying not to get injured, you give the ball, you get the ball, and you give it away quickly. So, uh-huh. so maybe it's not the case, but it but it's definitely there in the backs of their minds. Yeah, yeah. Um. Finally, before we get to Argentina trivia,
2: best player on this team. If I were to ask you who it is, you would say Messi. I would say Messi. Everybody on earth would say Messi. So. Uh, Should yeah, I, I mean, rephrase there, it? Should I ask you who's the best player on this team if if Messi is not allowed to
1: be the answer? Um I think uh if if he's not allowed to be the answer then I think maybe Lautaro Martinez and but if if you're asking me who I who I'm excited about I'm going to change the question. Okay. I would say Lautaro Martinez and uh Julian Alvarez. I'm I'm obviously excited to see Messi in this form, mm-hmm. but Julian Alvarez who won't, probably won't start but coming off the bench I've seen just enough from him from, from Manchester City to be, like, super excited.
2: Sure. Okay. Um, all right. Argentina World Cup trivia. You ready?
1: Oh, let's go. Okay. I, I'll just be terrible at this. This is
2: not fair. All right. This. These are some good ones, actually. I feel good about these. Uh, in 2006, FIFA awarded its first ever goal of the tournament for a World Cup. It was won by an Argentinian player. Please name him.
1: Maxi Rodriguez.
2: That's right. Versus Mexico. Very good.
1: Now, that's an easy one. It was such a great. Oh, it was such a great goal! Though. Oh. Uh, yes, incredible goal, incredible goal.
2: Um, all right. As a, now, as a follow up to that, the winner of this award in 2018 scored his goal for France against Argentina. Can you name that player? Benjamin
1: Pavard. That's right. For his just that goal is a goal that's better in slow motion replay than than the first time you see it. The camera He's angle sl- from yeah,
2: the slow motion oh. from
1: the camera angle behind the play. A slices it like it's the perfect slice the perfect connection because you get that wrong and it just spins over the bar or spins wide he just got it Mwah. it was a thing of beauty um all right
2: one more for you here jj uh let's see diego maradona played in three world cup titles world cup finals one versus the netherlands in 1978 one versus west germany in 1986 and another versus west germany in 1990 but he never scored in any of them can you name Argentina's leader in goals scored in World Cup finals?
1: Leader in goals scored in World Cup finals. Yeah. Oh, give me a second here now. Okay. Leader in goals. I can see him. I can see him with his I'm I'm having a mental blank. I can see him with his socks pulled down. Um and his goals were in the 70 in the 78 final. Yeah mario kempis yeah god i was nearly gonna you know what my first answer was going to be Burachaga, which is just stupid but it's not but I, my brain is fried it's truly truly fried
2: yeah it's kempis he scored two in the 78 final and then a bunch of other guys have won um from their other the other two finals appearances but yeah very good maradona did not score in any of those world cup finals interesting very interesting um anything else on argentina before we move on
1: um I don't I don't really accept that the number 1 song in Argentina right now is La Bachata mm. and it's by MTZ Manuel Torrizo. It's a kind of a bouncing melody in this one Andrew. I don't love it, I don't hate it. Uh, some interesting wardrobe changes in the video, uh, but La Bachata is a type of music that originated in the Dominican Republic and is a fusion of a lot of styles including Spanish guitar, Taino and sub-saharan african musical styles. I love when you read from wikipedia. It makes me feel warm inside. Can I uh, can I circle back to something as well? Like Maradona d- did not feature in the in the 78 World Cup. Wasn't that the whole point that he was that he was really young and that they were going to bring him and then they didn't bring him. And then in 82 he played and got kicked around. Yeah, yeah. So they didn't bring him in 78 um Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose that's yeah, true. Yeah, so he couldn't have scored in '78. No, that's true. Yeah. All right. This is why you leave the history to me, buddy.
2: Well, the answer still remains the same. That changes nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. You, don't you lawyer me? <laughs> Let's see. We continue now, JJ, to the defending champs, France, the champ is here when we last saw them in a the world cup the french of course were hoisting the trophy for the second time and Kylian mbappe was being awarded with the tournament's best young player award now they go again but with one potentially vital addition and a couple key subtractions as well uh, we'll get to those in a minute but first jj let's let's take a look at uh this was a, a tr- kind of a tricky one but france's greatest world cup moment here it is
0: okay. Lightning has strapped twice, two corners, two Zidane headers, double trouble for Brazil.
2: That's right, JJ. It was Zidane's second goal against Brazil in the 1998 World Cup final. Really seemed to solidify that they were going to go on and win that game. And it kind of, I think it kind of almost elevated Zidane to the rank of legend in the sport. Uh, You You get two at home in a World Cup final, like that's, you're on a different level now. So I went with that.
1: So, so the the third goal, the final goal, uh, where Patrick Vieira picks out his Highbury teammate Emmanuel Petit, who rolls it past Taffarel, that didn't make the cut for you. The cherry Um, on the cake.
2: No, no, Zidane is the winner of this. Like, what are you even? What are you even talking about?
1: Just interesting. You wouldn't, you wouldn't pick the the Arsenal player scoring the third goal. Just interesting. Oh, so
2: you think that this was personal?
1: That's what you Um, think. i don't want to accuse you of that but uh in the past you have your judgment has strayed into the personal yes uh you are wrong <laughs> you are incorrect uh the answer that i have
2: provided is the correct one this was the greatest moment in um in france's world cup history but yeah it has nothing to do with my my club allegiances how dare you uh all right let's uh let's dive in here jj france oh my goodness so many strengths. You want to try to uh, take a stab at
1: identifying their greatest one. uh go very simple, go basic. Uh, Mbappe and Benzema forming an attack that is just at the moment at its very best. It's absolutely devastating. If on form, you've got the reigning Ballon d'Or winner and a forward with the ability to torture defenses. They they're just scary. They're, I mean, we saw we saw glimpses of it. I know Euro. 2020 wasn't exactly what Kylian Mbappe wanted, not by any stretch, particularly the way it ended. But we did see flashes, even in the Swiss game and across the tournament from Mbappe of just how deadly he is and how deadly Benzema is. And to me, that's their great strength.
2: Yeah, I almost have the same thing word for word here. Like, I just don't know that it's possible to have a better front duo than that. At this tournament, Mbappe and Benzema. Now, I will I will throw in a couple things with it. Now, Benzema has had some fitness issues this season. Missed a month earlier with a hamstring problem. Uh, he's made just one appearance in the last three weeks for France. Right. What I was saying before, we were talking about have guys been maybe protecting themselves just a little bit in the lead up to this? That was brought to Carlo Ancelotti. He was asked about that allegations that that Benzema was doing that very thing. Ancelotti referred to that as quote stupid. Um, so. I mean, look. If, if you take all of this at face value, is there any reason to be concerned that France isn't going to get the full Benzema here that we saw over the course of his Ballon d'Or winning season? Like, are are these fitness issues? Is that a real
1: thing here, or yeah. do
2: people need to just kind of like, are we making a, a mountain out of a molehill?
1: No. When a player in his in his thirties gets injured injuries at the uh, you know especially at this point um, on the eve of a tournament, yeah, of course it's a factor. But we can only go on the squad that's been selected and who's most likely to line out right now. And that's Mbappe and Benzema. And for me, for me, they're just phenomenal. And I look forward to seeing them play. Yeah. Uh, as do I.
2: Um, all right. So with that, let's look at the other side. Any obvious weaknesses on this squad?
1: Again, I have to, I have to go with the basic things and the gutting of the midfield due to the Paul Pogba mm-hmm. and Angola Conte absences. You know, There are excellent midfielders in this French squad, and we're going to talk about them. But the squad has been successful and has been a winning squad, a World Cup winning squad four years ago with those two guys as key components of that midfield in that system that Didier Deschamps has set up for them. And now they're gone, and you're asking younger players to come in and, and repeat the trick. And that to me is... A weakness because not because these players aren't ta- talented, but because it's hard to do that. It's hard to come in and replicate the system that was already in place.
2: Yeah. Um I mean, that was mine as well. Like I don't know a lot of a lot of nations unfortunately have been affected by injury ahead of this tournament. Um, but in terms of like the the name value of those players, I don't know if any nation's been affected more than France with Pogba and Angolo Conte. Now you could say that, well, have they really been affected because France is so deep that like potentially they can lose players and, and still be considered one of the favorites in the tournament. This wasn't like now granted Sadio Mane is on Senegal's roster, um, but like him being hurt, the impact that that has on a Senegal is, you know, far greater, I think, than that of like a Pogba and Angolo Kante for a France, just because of the depth. But we'll see. Like it'll be interesting to see just how affected they are by those absences. Like say what you want about Pogba. We've had our criticisms of him over the years, but he puts on that French shirt and you typically know, okay, well, you're gonna be getting the best version of Paul Pogba. Um and so that's that's a hit. And Angolo Kante is just one of the great winners, I feel like, of this era. Like winning teams just have a guy like him. Uh and he's he's been that guy for for Leicester City, for Chelsea, for France,
1: replacing what he does is is very hard. Yeah,
2: extremely hard. So you know, in their absence, like maybe there's a lack of depth now in the midfield that wouldn't have been there, of course, if those guys were there. We'll find, you know, Aurelian Shuamany. Like he'll he's going to take a lot upon his pretty young shoulders here. Um, you know, so it's that's it's going to be asking a lot of of a guy who doesn't have that kind of big match international experience that some of those other guys had. So, you know, that, that will be interesting. Um, two but other he l- knows,
1: like, sorry to cut across Andrew, yeah. but but too he knows, because he was speaking to France football and he knows he's, re- he's going to be called upon. Mm-hmm. He said more than anything, I want to go to play, not just to feature. I want to do something there collectively first of all but also individually. Right now I'm a starter at Real Madrid. So I think in terms of confidence I'm doing quite well. It's going to be my first World Cup with the French national team who are one of the favorites. Like he knows he's in there and the responsibility is on him now to perform.
2: Sure. Um now a couple other things that I'm looking at here when I like when I'm looking at France possible weaknesses. I don't know if this if this necessarily qualifies as a weakness, but just something interesting that I think is worth pointing out that um four of the last 5 defending champions in this tournament have not made it out of the group stage i don't know take for that i guess what take out of that whatever you want like i don't know what to make of that but that's a large enough sample size where you have to look at that and say it's it just i think shines a light on how hard it is to repeat in this competition and then look at france like you know they also they went out in the round of 16 in last year's european championships to switzerland um on penalties so like as great as this french team is you can't necessarily say that they're beyond criticism, um,
1: and then no, they're not. And and you worry as well because you you saw in two thousand and two, and again making parallels from twenty years ago. But I will. They came in as the as the reigning champions in two thousand and two, but Zidane wasn't fully fit. He had a you know a hamstring problem. His hamstring was strapped up. That team did not do very well at all. They didn't get out the group. So I, I wonder is there is there worrying echoes considering the French injury problems uh for for this tournament
2: yeah and then the other thing i wanted to mention in this section is for all the success that they've had i mean this manager d.a. Deschamps, he he has a world cup title to his name now on his resume both as a player and a manager but i feel like in the past if i remember correctly i feel like you always had your hang-ups with him and the and the way that he chose
1: to play with this team and i'm wondering if that's still a thing for you here i mean yeah it is really they they're very they're just they're conservative, very conservative, and they feel like you feel like they play within themselves. And there's not certainly on 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 the road to to winning the the championship in 2018. Like look at some of the games they played. I'm, I'm thinking of the was it the Australia game? I think so, Some of the group games they were really insipid and hard to watch. And I know they. On the break was really when you saw them come alive. Though the goals that they scored against Argentina were in transition and and they looked great, but I always thought that they should look to possess the ball more and be on the front foot more. Now maybe they probably have evolved a little bit and that they would probably take they have more time on the ball or they they do more with the ball than that 2018 iteration. But they've all Deschamps has always kind of fallen into that category for me is like. God, you've got everything handed to you and you choose to play this style of football. But he's not the only one in international football, as we'll
2: see later on. Yeah, We'll get to one of those shortly. Um, Any team selection decision that surprised you? There's one, I guess, for me, um, maybe not a huge one, but no Ferland Mendy is interesting. Just like a guy who's... If you're a regular starter at Real Madrid, um, it's just surprising to me that you wouldn't even be able to make the team for your national team. But, like... Deschamps has never really preferred him. Like he's not I guess he's just not a player maybe who's known quite as much for what he does from an attacking perspective at fullback. And maybe they're looking for a little bit more out of that. So Theo Hernandez is the preferred choice. I'm still a little surprised that he wouldn't even be able to make the squad. Um,
1: but yeah, that that would I guess be the one for me. I didn't really have one. Um I, I, I saw some comments from uh Wissam Benedder about um about not being involved and being kind of disappointed he wasn't because he's been in or around Deschamps squads for about 3 years but again he I mean he wouldn't be a starter I mean he'd be a, he'd be a bench guy other than that I suppose not really
2: um and best player on this team if I were to ask you who are you saying this is a tough one
1: Kylian Mbappe
2: Yeah that's who I said too it's not an easy thing to say that over the current Ballon d'Or holder but I
1: think it is yeah, I, I guess I think it
2: is, and, and I think Benzema's fitness concerns can maybe make it even uh, easier. But never
1: mind that; just go player for player. How mm-hmm. many different ways in which Mbappe can hurt a team?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He can do things that uh, Benzema can't do, as good as Benzema is. And Benzema would say that himself. They're two totally different types of players, and and Mbappe as an all round footballer is, is the better one, and he's more he's more dynamic and devastating. It's that's not hard. It's not controversial. Okay,
2: um, and then finally, JJ France World Cup trivia. Let's go. Uh, Who captained the '98 French side that won the World Cup?
1: Uh, um, It was Didier Deschamps. It was,
2: yeah, it sure was. For a minute,
1: I had a, I I nearly said Laurent Blanc. Well, but he didn't play in the final. He was sent off, and he wasn't captain. It was Deschamps.
2: Yeah, you're right. Uh, And I guess the natural follow up to that. Okay, so who captained the 2018 side for France that won the World Cup? Oh. Oh dear. It wasn't Paul Pogba, was it? Oh, here we go with the it was I don't I can't remember. It, no, it was not Pogba. Is that your guess? No, I can't uh I can't remember. It was Hugo Lloris. Oh, Hugo Lloris. Yeah. Uh and finally JJ, who is France's all-time leading scorer in the World Cup?
1: Oh god, it's not it's not Henri. <laughs> It's someone.
2: I don't think you'll get this.
1: Uh, it's. Oh, wait. It's not juiced Fontaine. It is. Oh, my God. Someone needs to get that record off juiced. And his story is very strange.
2: So he he is their leader with 13 goals. Incredibly, he scored all of them in one World Cup. That's right. Yeah. In 1958, where France, uh, France finished third. Not surprisingly, thirteen goals in a single World Cup is a record. Uh, I don't see that getting. I don't see that being a record that gets broken anytime soon.
1: He, Mike Francesa would hate Juiced Fontaine. He would call him a compiler.
2: I mean, it was it is that compiling? Compiling is usually the opposite. If
1: he had, oh, I know, you're right. If he had compiled that well, compil- the he course compiled of nine it into World, World one, Cups, he, comp- he compiled it
2: into one World Cup. No, that's like a bolt of lightning. It's the complete opposite yeah. of a compiler.
1: Yeah, that's it's not great, is it? I feel like I feel like a French for the French have had so many great players.
2: But thirteen is a huge number. There's no shame in that being the leader.
1: It's out, It's absolutely outrageous. It, I just it's can't it's believe he did much. it all in one shot. No, it's too much. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you have to. Oh, you, it, it's like too obvious. It's it's like the it's like the kind of thing a child would write. You know, a seven year old. How many goals do you want to score in the World Cup? I'm going to score thirteen. Yeah. The, you know, it's over the top. It is, but he did it, but he achieved it. It
2: actually happened. so that's France. the defending champions we move on JJ. no, we don't move on
1: because number uh. one in France right now is uh, from rapper Gazo, mm-hmm. and it's called die. It's a downbeat hip-hop effort that begins with piano and strings kind of very melancholy. there's the obligatory voice modulator at work always mm-hmm. it's not bad it's not bad if you're feeling in a in a downbeat mood, but you still want your hip hop. I give Gazo die. Die like D I E? Like D I E. Death? So I'm I, I'm I'm presuming it's death, yeah. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Unless
1: it's Germ simply German for the Bart, the. The It's a Simpsons reference there that just went over your head. Oh,
2: okay. Um all right. Now we move on, JJ, to uh <laughs> Come on, st- England. Deadly on the rise.
1: Give me joy in my heart. Keep me English. Come on.
2: Can they finally bring it back home? That's right, England. They've been building and building. First, it was a fourth place finish in Russia 2018. Then a runner-up finish at the 2020 Euros. And so now, if you're following that trajectory, there's only one place left for them to go, and that is to go on and win the whole damn thing.
1: Oh, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully there's another option option c please
2: where they regress because progress jj as we say is not always what it's not always linear that's right um yeah that was my big revelation from the 2020 euros was just how much you hate them didn't know didn't really know the depth of that until we got to that tournament
1: no but again and again hate it's sports it's, hate it's, i don't i know you don't hate them it's sport. i know but we're in a very febrile uh, political uh, situation right now around the world andrew big words matter okay sports hate we're not running for office here all
2: right we're just talking about sports like that's the context in which all these words are mattering uh let's do what we do jj in this podcast and go look at their greatest world cup moment here it is
0: His ball running himself back No, no, the linesman says no. The linesman says no. It's a goal. It's a goal.
2: That's right. Maybe, what are you doing? Maybe the greatest controversy in the history of the World Cup. Did it go over the line or not? It was Jeff Hurst, uh, the go-ahead goal for England, the moment where they could really start to dream, oh, my God, is this actually going to happen to us finally in the 1966 World Cup final versus Germany, put England up three two. He added one more in the 120th to finish it off at four two. But I went to the one, one he... I want, which is
1: which is the one I wanted to use because it's the one that makes more sense. Why? You've, I think the you've, one you've that used... gave them the lead that was the game winner. What are it you talking even, about? I mean, it wasn't even a goal. But I
2: mean, you're right. But it was. But it was. They mm. it was credited as a goal. It's the it's the the goal that won England its only World Cup
1: okay yeah okay yeah okay no big deal and the iconic call was some people are on the pitch they think it's all over it is now and you didn't even go with that one all right uh listen listen i'll leave it to you i'll leave it to you i mean it's one of the most famous goals
2: in the history of the tournament
1: the fourth goal is more famous
2: than than the third
1: yes i beg to differ it's iconic, the fourth goal. The third one wasn't even a goal. But it was credited as one. Okay, we're going around in circles here. Onward.
2: Um, England, greatest strength. So I've looked at a couple things here. I mean, for the, I guess the first thing I would say is kind of just like big match experience. Like they've been in a lot of these over the last couple tournaments. Um, so I, I tend to think that that does hold some value. lost
1: all of them too so
2: well not all of them you gotta you gotta win big games to get to play in big games you get you don't get to a cup final without playing in some big games along the way so i would i would take umbrage with that statement um but i i mean i get your point but it's it's an incorrect point uh and then along with that uh, if we're looking at the team itself i would just kind of say attacking options i mean we can go through it, but like Kane is one of the best players in this tournament. By the way, look for him to pass. Wayne Rooney, potentially, is England's all-time leading scorer in this tournament. He needs two to tie, three to pass, so that could happen. Uh, Phil Foden is – I mean, I, I love him as a player. Versatile as well in this system. Um, Bukayo Saka in great form. I still think highly of Jack Grealish, regardless of how much or how little he's playing for club or country. I still think that he is a weapon, and I'm really glad, JJ, that James Madison made this team. I think that he, I just think he should be there on form during the so during the calendar year, he's got 22 goal involvements in Premier League play. The only guys with more are Kane, De Bruyne, and Son, and then it's James Madison. Like he should be on this team. He's he's playing well enough where he should be on this team. How much he actually plays in the tournament, I guess, remains to be seen, but I think it's, I think it's good that he was included.
1: Yeah, I've, I've kind of gone down the same road as you. I said that they're tournament battle hardened, but this is a strength that a lot of people think is a weakness because the core of the team from Russia, 2018 remains Pickford, Maguire, Sterling, Henderson, Walker, Kane. However, like I said, many people do think the loyalty shown to the Russian campaigners is also a weakness too, and we'll we'll get to that very soon.
2: we'll get to that in a sec. I'm not done with the strengths um, okay I have another uh, cause, uh, I also I wanted to also shout out Declan Rice just because I think about how important he's been for this team um, and like I wonder too we had kind of brought this up on another podcast, not in reference to him, but just like, I wonder if the stress of playing for a club team that's really struggling and like leaving that and now coming to this is if, if it can almost be like a stress release in some ways to kind of get out of like maybe a like a semi-toxic environment um, and yeah. now like link up with this team. Well, um, we know Declan loves to get away on international duty. He'll even do it for two teams. Oh, wow. Interesting. He He does love it. And also, just to throw out there, that I'm totally riveted by uh, Jude Bellingham and what he's going to do in this tournament. Just because uh, I think the world of his talent, and this could be a uh, I don't know it could be you know sometimes you see like Mbappe in 2018, just like young players who just become a revelation. And take I was listening to Karen Carney
1: talk about him on Sky Andrew, and Karen Carney made the point. Uh, I hope Gareth lets him just lets him go, lets him go forward because he's so good at that part of his game too. But we know that's not going to happen.
2: No, no. I guess you would say that Gareth is kind of of the DDA Deschamps school of management.
1: Yeah, without the winning, which is... uh, Again, define winning. Win the trophy. All right. Win, I mean, that's... get to a final, go one 0 up inside the first four minutes, and then not hold down and win the thing. But it, but I do like think what, it's, what, what, what? it's, it's not entirely fair to suggest
2: fair. that, like like to say that without the winning, like it, it's almost suggesting that this has been a failure of a manager. Like England
1: has not; they have not been better than this in there is... in fifty years. No, they haven't. He's the most successful English manager by a mile since Sir Alf Ramsey. Yeah, so you can't sit there and say, yeah, without the winning. Like, f- I like can, that's, though. That's
2: not that's but I can, disingenuous. But I can. That's not true.
1: Based, uh, they had a cupcake ride to the, the semi final of, of World Cup 2018 in Russia, and when they met a competent, tough side with some proper midfielders, they were beaten, albeit in extra time. They were still beaten, and they went 1-0 up in that game, too. And fast forward to the Italy game. They had a decent run as well, playing all their games at Wembley to get to the final. And look what happened to them then. Yeah, they lost on penalties. I mean, it's not yeah, so it's not shameful. With one of the be- probably the best generation of footballers they've had since 1990. So, yeah, I'm entitled to say this. I'm entitled to to think he's a conservative manager that should be doing more with what he has absolutely entitled to say it i I don't see why you get so upset about that because without the winning like that's that's just
2: to me that's just a disingenuous statement like that that that's that to me is is something that you say about a manager that isn't getting out of group stages not one who's losing in finals
1: i think their tournament routes have been extremely charitable and generous and i think if you break them down 2018 and you break them down in 2021 2020 sorry you'll see so so that's just my opinion
2: i mean look i get what you're saying it's just my like opinion they, man like they, no they didn't play brazil or france in route but like i don't know like you you see teams that you would think should be beating other teams that don't like you can only, like we just said france lost to switzerland in the round mm-hmm. of 16 like that so I, you're right like they they had a route to those points that like they were favored um, but that happens a lot and the favored teams in these tournaments oftentimes don't win brazil hasn't been to a world cup final since 2002 they've been favored in a lot of those games so i don't know like i just think that that's a little harsh on gareth to imply that he's not i mean i'm giving him his winning. jew
1: uh, but i'm also saying you know these were opportunities that i think have gone a uh, gone a begging
2: um, in terms of any obvious weaknesses to the squad, I mean, look, we're talking about the injuries that hit France. You could look at England and say a similar thing. Rhys James, that's a brutal blow. He's a great player. And then losing Ben Chilwell on top of it kind of makes it that much worse. Um, and then meanwhile, some of the guys who did make the team are still kind of injury concerns themselves. Uh, Kyle Walker, Calvin Phillips, both guys who are kind of just working themselves back
1: into form. So there's there's a little bit to keep an eye on there. Um. I think they. I'm going to just deal with the players that they've brought and the team The team that Gareth, uh, the roster that Garrett Southgate has selected. Centre-back, uh, Southgate described Harry Maguire as one of England's best centre-backs, but he hardly plays for Manchester United yeah. and is in the worst form of his career. Left-back, Luke Shaw is the only out-and-out left-back in the squad. What happens if he gets injured? Um, the midfield, stalwarts of the march to the Euros' finals, Declan Rice and Calvin, Calvin Phillips. One is in a struggling West Ham team. And the other has barely kicked the ball for his new club, Manchester City. Those are those are three pretty dramatically um, worrying areas for me. And we know we know that this manager is loyal, and we we're probably assured that uh, most of the his lieutenants from the previous two campaigns will start if they're fit. And um, yeah, I, I I wonder. I just wonder yeah. about this team. They've they've gone
2: six without a win. Um, which is, I don't know, something just kind of has seemed a little bit off with them for, for a little bit now. Like maybe that's, I don't know, after a few years of just like highly charged emotional matches, I guess it's, maybe it's natural that they go through a lull when you get to games that are, you know, Nations League games, things like that, that just don't rise to that level. Maybe once they get back into the heat of this kind of competition, it'll shock them back to form, but you know three losses and three draws over their last six is that's that's enough to be concerning i think um and yeah the center back situation i mean look i I think john stones is solid i feel good about him but after that i mean are they they're gonna are they gonna start harry Maguire? they're really gonna do it
1: i mean how do you say he's he's one of the best center backs we have well and then not play him
2: i I mean sometimes the manager will talk his guys up
1: but he's put him in we put them in the firing line against germany and we see we saw how it went in the nations league in the 3-3 draw at wembley but then the second half of that uh game was uh it kind of fired up the british media and uh sorry the english media and some of the english supporters to say hey gareth this is how we should play you know so mm-hmm. I, I don't know andrew i really don't know i um i think they've i think winning time has been there for them i think they've passed that up this window is closing and it's closing on this manager and they're going to need fresh ideas to bring the team forward.
2: It's so funny hearing you kind of go through the analysis of England. Boy, like the, the, there's so, there's so many us parallels to me. Like before, when you're saying Luke Shaw, he's their only left back. What else do they have? Like it, we've said the same things about Anthony Robinson. And then like Harry Maguire, he's, he's so clearly their Aaron long, the same position, the manager's guy, fans don't really want him. <laughs> What will, Everyone expects the manager to do it, but when push comes to shove, will he actually do it? We're all kind of waiting on pins and needles. I don't know. I just This is the lens through which I see things right now. My American brain is working overtime. One other question, JJ. Um, Jordan Pickford,
1: strength or weakness? I mean, if you're to look at the weekend and the howler he had against Bournemouth, you'd say definite weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's been very good for England. There's no point saying otherwise. Yeah. He's, he's been better for England than he has... Um, Over the majority of his career for Everton, although, I mean, we've seen him do good things, particularly against Chelsea last spring. Um, Those saves he made to keep to help keep the team up. Um, I think his kicking is a strength, I think. I, I don't think he's I don't want to say he's a weakness. It's easy for me to pile on him. Um, particularly after that mistake at the weekend. And I, I do find him her- erratic. I, I've I've always said that. I, When you look behind you, you want a kind of a, a stone-faced shouting merchant, an organizer, but also a cam organizer. And when you look behind him, you see this jittery teenager who <laughs> appears to have drank too much Monster Energy drink and his eyebrows are twitching and he's absolutely, you know, so he doesn't inspire confidence for me, but I'm not I'm not willing to go as far as to call him a weakness, Andrew. Okay.
2: For what it's worth, that teenager is 28 years old, but who's counting? <sighs> wow, you um, got to 28 quick. Yeah. Uh let's see. Any team selection decisions that surprised you? I have a couple notes
1: here. Um I I've one, got I got a bunch of notes.
2: Okay. Uh look, this first one for me, I can't necessarily say that this is a surprise, but man, I just never would have guessed that at 22 years old and like seemingly entering the prime of his career, Jaden Sancho would not be on this team. I'm not saying they were wrong. I just never, never saw this coming, that it, like, that it was going to go this way. It's almost like a Delhi alley trajectory. Well, now, unless that's harsh. You're,
1: but... Well, here's how it seems to work. Unless you're one of his, his lieutenants, his generals, that have been with him throughout, like a Maguire or a Shaw, form doesn't matter for them. They're his guys they're in. Everybody else is subject to form. So Madison, who hasn't had a kick for England since November 14, 2019, against Montenegro, he's in now because you can't ignore his form.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas... well, you, So that kind G- of goes against what you're saying.
1: Form does matter in certain no, cases. No, no, no. No. What I said was, I said for his generals, his lieutenants, form doesn't matter. For the hardcore group, the Maguires, the Shaw's, the Pickford's, Form doesn't matter okay. for everybody else. Form does, and for Sancho, Southgate's just looking and he said Madison in way better form. Even Conor Gallagher, who's not an out and out starter for Chelsea, his form's better, and that's how Sancho's out.
2: Um, yeah, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, Would you have brought Ch- Sancho? No, that's the thing. Is like I don't, yeah. I don't think. he's I don't think he should be there. But I'm just saying. I'm just, I just never saw it going this way. I'm just stunned that, like, yeah, Jaden Sancho's not on the team and, like, no one's bothered by it. Like, that's – I just am, didn't expect it. Didn't see this coming in terms of where his career was going to go. This is still young enough where, like, he could very well be on their next Euro squad and, and start for them and be a huge part of it. But, like, yeah, just wow. And then um, a couple others, if we head over to Syria A, uh, Tammy Abraham, Fakayo Tamori. Um I don't know. A- Abraham I think I'm generally okay with him not being there. They're loaded at that position.
1: I get he, and it. And he slipped out of form too.
2: Yeah, um he definitely did. But like Tamori, like there's this idea JJ that two performances for him against Chelsea in the Champions League basically cost him his place on the national team.
1: I um, I would I would agree. I would say that's the case, but it, yeah, it's it feels unfair. like that
2: just like a position of of relative weakness for them and it seems like he's a guy that
1: that they could use right now. Syria uh, defender of the year last season. Yeah. That one made me scratch my head a little bit. Um, um what else did I uh I said Connor Gallagher. Yeah, Gallagher gives you something different in midfield to Rice Henderson and Bellingham. Um particularly if Bellingham is going to be in a w- more r- withdrawn role. Um like I said, James Madison. I didn't I, I I honestly thought it wouldn't happen for the simple reason that just Southgate didn't like him because there was such a gap between what'll be his next cap and his last one. Um and Callum Wilson over Ivan Tony. Hmm. I think if Kane were to get a knock or require rest, I feel like Tony could have been a better option. But like I don't hate Callum Wilson as an option either. So I, I suppose I'm a bit indifferent on that one.
2: Okay that that's interesting though i mean that definitely was one that people were were i saw that going around when that it didn't help that
1: tony scored two goals against manchester city either so. that was
2: uh, i'm sure that felt good for him like on on what was a tough
1: day um i that- i would have brought tony i i, I would have but i'm okay. i'm not going to i won't crucify southgate for not bringing him
2: uh best player on this team
1: is um i i think it's harry kane yeah i think I so think he, i think he I think he's the talismanic presence. He leads the line. He scores the goals. He, we've also seen him be able to, you know, kind of create as well. Drop into midfield. Um, he's just he's just their most important player. And but but after that, it could actually be um, it could be someone like Jude Bellingham who surprises us pr- surprises us. And in the absence of maybe Calvin Phillips, who's not going to start, um, or depends how he configures that midfield. But but Bellingham could be that player.
2: Um. We'll get to trivia in a sec, but before we do, we, we've we made it all the way through this England preview and we haven't mentioned perhaps their most polarizing player. And so I feel that we're, we're obligated Who's to do that? so. Trent, I mean, where does he factor into all this?
1: Well, he doesn't, he doesn't start. If everyone's fit that's available to in in that squad, he doesn't start.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's as simple as that.
1: It really is that simple. And were Reese James fit? Is he even going? Yeah. Fair point. Um, All right. So well, I mean, I, I I'm not gonna dealt go, with. Yeah, I'm not going to go into detail as to as everybody knows what I think of him. I think he's a in in some ways he's an era defining player. He's he's so good, and we know he's so good. But in a, a system like Southgate's where conservatism is key, do do you want a guy who maybe defensively isn't isn't quite there? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, all right, England
2: World Cup trivia. Here we go. Um, these, are, these are some good ones, but I think you'll do well in these. I have a good feeling about that. Uh, okay, England are a nation. JJ often renowned for their penalty shootout failures. But in 2018, they exercised at least some of those demons when they beat Columbia on penalties and advanced to the quarterfinals. Who converted England's winning penalty? Was it Henderson? No, he missed his. Oh, he was he- their only miss. You couldn't have been more wrong. Oh, it was um, Eric Dyer. That's right. It was Eric Dyer. Sorry. Uh, All right. Moving on to the next one. JJ, England's first ever World Cup defeat came at the hands of which nation?
1: Their first ever World Cup defeat. Mm -hmm. Well, they weren't in the first few. So I'm going to say the United States. That is correct.
2: In 1950, you're right, England did not participate in the first three World Cups. Then in 1950, they beat Chile in their first game, 2-0, but lost their next game to the U.S., 1-0. It's worth noting, I guess, that England have never beaten the U.S. in a World Cup. Of course, the famous Robert Greene game.
1: That's been noted. Noted noted
2: a lot, and will continue to be noted. Certainly will. We will... We will look to keep that streak alive. All right, uh, we continue here, JJ. Only one member of this England team plays in a league outside of the Premier League. Can you name that player? Jude Bellingham. That's right. That's right. No one on the 2018 team played outside of England. Let's keep England for the English, (laughs) innit? And finally, who was the golden ball winner from the 1966 World Cup triumph for England? Roger Hunt. No. Sir Jeff Hurst. No. no, no. Wow. No, Bobby Charlton. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh what's number one, JJ, in the on the charts
1: in England? Uh, number one in the chart is I mean, it's Anti Hero by Taylor Swift. Oh. A jaunty, electro popish, self deprecating, if a little self absorbed, look at her own neuroses. And an apology for ghosting people features in the opening, um, opening part of the, of the song. Have you ever ghosted anybody, Andrew? Oh,
2: yeah, definitely. Not yeah. proud of it, but I'd be—I'm—I'm I'm not going to lie. I've ghosted people.
1: You? I, I'd say—I'd say you know you can remember every person you've ghosted. It's tough being ghosted, it, especially in affairs of the heart. Like some. Oh no, I've never wo-
2: done it in that context.
1: Oh yeah. I've done it and it's been done to me. And I, um, yeah, it's not, it's not great.
2: I've done it more in like, uh, you know, in a (laughs) professional setting in work. Just sometimes you get work emails that you're like, ah, nah, not, not dealing
1: with this. I'm not sure that counts as ghosting.
2: Uh, I mean, if if it only applies to relationships, then no, I don't, I've never
1: done that. That's rude. That's playing with someone's heart. That's not right. Antihero, taylor swift okay check it out as if you as if you have any choice she's uh <laughs> ubiquitous
2: next one jj here we go the transition from one generation to the next appears to be pretty much complete and that is spain that is spain As there uh the, the echoes of 2010 and that era have pretty much moved on i guess sergio busquets is kind of like the the last vestige
1: of a, of a bygone an era imp- an important vestige as well certainly
2: is certainly is let's go straight to their greatest ever world cup moment i know you've debated me on some of these if you're going to sit here and debate me on this one then i'm going to end the podcast right now here it is spain's greatest world <laughs> cup moment torres oh no, it drops for fabregas
1: who looks for any who's on side Even you, JJ. Come on, even you. No, I I, I agree with you. Okay. Um, good. I will I will give you that. I'm
2: sure you dug as you, you dug as deep as you could possibly go to find something else. But there's just
1: this was one of the ones I didn't send to you because I just agreed with them. I sent the others to you, and they were roundly and swiftly ignored. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank
2: and thank goodness they were. Um, Spain's greatest strength, uh. Boy, I just, I love that midfield. I just do. Uh, Pedri, Gavi, Rodri, Busquets, just, just love it.
1: Yeah. Um, I've gone with more of a overall thing. So okay. I've said they're they're collective. So I was reading quotes in the Guardian from Luis Enrique, and um, talk about dogmatic. This is, I, I guess, again, this could be seen as a strength or a weakness. I I see it very much as a strength. The fact that they have a way of playing that suits everybody is no coincidence. In fact, the team is picked that way. So it's not just a case of, well, that guy's in form, he's in the squad. That guy's in form, he's in the squad. N- not how it works. You're picked based on your ability to execute the style of play. And this is what Luis Enrique said. We go for the win from the first minute without caring too much about our opponents. We do not... Want to play deep, we always want to be in our opponent's half and take risks. In defense, we want to take the ball off our opponents as quickly as possible. When I am looking for players for the national team, I pick the ones who are best at interpreting our tactic. Now that to me just is like that, that fosters something great within a squad that everyone is picked. They know their role, they know what to do, it's a very clear plan. But I wonder when things go wrong, or when there's when there's a glitch in the system, um, how players can react to that, and how free-form the thinking is then. With or does it remain within a rigid structure even when the ship is going down?
2: Yeah, um, you're right. They are unwavering in the way they want to do it. We want the ball. We want to spend the game in the. We want to spend the game attacking in the opponent's end of the field. We want to play fast. We're going to play it out from the back and quickly. Um, like there's a plan a you're right like i don't know if there's a plan b it feels like that this is just they're gonna play this way come hell or high water and i do respect that and i i, res- I do too and like i respect that style not just that they're unwavering in the way they want to do it but i i also just i enjoy them i enjoy watching them um
1: so- uh, and and listen there was this, a very definitive style to the the 2018 team which we remembered they their turgid game against Russia where it was pass, pass, pass for the sake of it. But I feel like at Euro 2021, um, they were more incisive. Now we'll get to the weakness very soon. Cause the weakness is what's well, at the end of that incision.
2: Well, let's go. Yeah. Let's go right to that. That's mine as well. Uh, same thing. Um, who's you know, going to th-
1: score the goals, goal. Right, th-
2: that's the question is like, do they have the right guys up front to finish off the, the ticky Taka hard work going on behind them in the buildup? Um, now, you can look at it like Alvaro Morata, um, three goals for Spain at the Euros, all of them vital, by the way, did miss the crucial penalty versus Italy in the semifinal. Um, I know some of his misses, you know, sometimes make headlines almost as much as his makes. So, I don't know. I think he's he's fine. Uh, is that good enough? I don't know. Like, for France... Olivier Giroud up front was that was just fine, and that wound up being good enough because of everything else that they had around him. Does Spain have that level of talent around their you know their their front man? I don't know. I don't think they do. Still, they're I still think they're a great team and are worthy of being considered one of the the contenders. But yeah, I think there's there's valid questions about what they have up front.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and and that's the question because for me they were the best team. Over the course of the tournament up until Italy beat them on penalties, they were the best side at Euro twenty twenty. Yeah, they weren't hurting for goals.
2: Like that was the thing. We wondered about them.
1: But I mean, when they they cut Italy open several times. I mean, that game could have been over by half time, yeah. but and and they didn't have the goals, so
2: On that day. But on yeah. on other days in that tournament it was stunning.
1: I mean, it was them. a goal fest against uh, Croatia.
2: Yeah so yeah i don't know maybe that's maybe maybe there's not as much validity to that um as as we're letting on i guess i guess we'll find out um any team selection decisions that surprised you there's a few there's a few notable ones here
1: can i can i just get through some of them yeah because i do think some of them like so so for one let's deal with uh the not really surprising ones that people think are surprising. And I know people want to make a big deal that David De Gea isn't involved, but we talked about system and the importance of players fitting that system. Do you want De Gea involved if it's quick play out from the back? Probably not. No, I don't don't think
2: he was even close to being considered.
1: I don't think so either. And I, I know people will say, well, look at the mistake Unai Simon made against Croatia in that game I just mentioned. Remember, he let the ball under, under his foot and into the net. Right. Okay, that, mistakes can happen, but but generally you don't want the heia in a team that's going to play quickly out from the back. Um, I saw some stuff about Sergio Ramos as well. Like He wasn't in the squad for Euro 2020. like How right. would he be suddenly in the squad now? I, I honestly don't think... I know he begged to be in the squad, but...
2: Well, I think some of the stuff with Euro 2020... 2020- like some of that, I think was fitness based. He had been dealing with injuries, so like they could they could use that as the reason. He could have yeah. said that was the reason, but he never retired. And like I don't know, you know, he he wanted to be on this team, but I'm with you. I didn't see that. It's it's a thing because he's a huge name. He's a legend, but I didn't. It's see not it as necessarily a huge shock.
1: No, it didn't. It didn't really shock me. Um, the shock for me was and maybe I'm reading this all wrong, but was Tiago Alcantara. Mm -hmm. Now, whether he doesn't want to bring an injury prone older player, I just love the idea of him off the bench. Now he doesn't generally start for Spain under Luis Enrique. So maybe it's not that surprising, but I found it surprising because, you know, the old line that I'll continually use, he gives you something different (laughs) and he definitely does. Um, but, but yeah, he's not in and, um, and as a Liverpool fan, I'm I'm pretty okay with that.
2: Yeah, one other one here, uh, no Keppa as well, Ariza Balaga. Uh, it just I mentioned that only because it's it's just interesting to me. Like again, I think they're fine with what they've done, but like it's just interesting. So they don't bring Manchester United's keeper or Chelsea's keeper, but they do bring Brighton and Brentford's. Like neither of those guys will start, but still, just like that's just an interesting. I just find that interesting. I don't know. Uh,
1: but what what do we know about Brighton and Brentford? Like maybe not Brentford so much, but we certainly know that Brighton have a style of play that will be much closer to to the Spanish team than than say David de Gea could muster at Manchester United. It is funny, it is weird though. I, yeah. I will agree with you. Yeah, don't see
2: that very often. Um, no. All right, if I ask you who the best player on this team is, who would you say?
1: Um, I mean, I just say Pedri. Yeah, me too. Boy, that's a lot to I, like, put on such a young young player. I mean, there's a lot of games being put on. He must have over a hundred games now for, for <laughs> Barcelona. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, but yeah, watch, watch Spain from 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 the previous tournament that we talked about. He's he's just he's exceptional. He's so important to them, and um, and the way they play, the tempo they set, um, he's everything to them.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. One shout out though, just because I feel like this guy always flies under the radar, even for his club. But, like, Danny Carvajal is just such a solid player, Um, and I, I, you know, I don't know, just wanted to mention him as well as a guy who, I feel like, doesn't always get the plaudits because he's surrounded by so many stars, but I think that, like, him, Jordi Alba, fullback for Spain, like, that's just been a a solid tandem, Um, and I expect that to continue to be the case for them in this tournament as well. Um, All right, you ready for trivia? Oh, go ahead. Okay, which Spanish player did Nigel De Jong kung fu kick in the 2010 World Cup final?
1: It was the beautiful, gorgeous Xabi Alonso. That's correct. That is correct.
2: All right, this is this is gonna be a tough one. Um, gonna to make you. I'm gonna make you relive some tough memories, JJ. In 2002, Ugh. Spain defeated Ireland in the round of 16 in a penalty shootout. Hmm. Who were the game's two goal scorers, and who converted the winning penalty for Spain?
1: The winning penalty was converted by Geiske Mendieta. Yeah. Um, Robbie Keane was the goal scorer for, for Ireland. Ireland. And Fernando Morientes was the goal scorer for Spain. Yes, yeah, so you remember it all quite oh, well. Oh, Jesus Christ. Extra time. Spain were down a man for most of extra time. And I was like watching. I was like, we're pouring forward. We're pouring forward. We should win this game. Juan Fran was off with like terrible cramp. And uh, oh god, yeah. yeah, we left that one behind us.
2: Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, and then finally, JJ Spain's all-time leading goal scorer in World Cup play is Raúl. No, David Villa with nine. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Actually, Villa had five was... in 2010 alone. In
1: that, yeah, Raúl was a bit of a failure for for Spain. Spain were for the for the most time 1994. Uh, 1998, just disappointing on the big stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 2002.
2: Yeah, a little bit hard done. I know in 02 losing on penalties to South Korea. Um, what was that? That, that was the quarterfinal, right? I believe
1: uh, yeah. it was the quarterfinal. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. And what's number one on the charts in Spain? Uh, it's a repeat. It's actually uh Le pa- uh, oh. Manuel Torizo. Okay. So. <laughs> all right. He's doing quite well. He's doing great, and we're happy for him. All right. Uh,
2: And then finally, JJ, we round out the top six favorites here with the nation that can never be counted out. That is Z Germans. Um, Let's go straight to their greatest World Cup moment. Again, kind of like with Brazil, not easy, not an easy one. They have been at the center of many great World Cup moments, but I'm going to take us all the way back to maybe their their first great World Cup moment, and this is... uh, yeah, here we go. Let's listen to it.
0: Aus dem
2: yes, JJ, if you couldn't understand that, uh, let me let me tell you what happened. I went with Helmut Raha scoring the uh, in the 84th minute. Of the 1954 World Cup final to help Germany overcome a 2 0 deficit against Hungary to win 3 2. It was the West Germans' first World Cup. They, of course, would go on to win three more in 74, 90, and most recently in 2014. Andrew with the
1: German deep cuts. Yeah. What do you think? Is that all right? Loved it. Loved it.
0: Good.
1: Couldn't have done better myself. Oh, good. I, could. I, I feel validated.
2: Um, and now let's look at this team, JJ. Germany. This version of Germany, their
1: greatest strength. Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna fudge this one, but it's true. The, the, the levels of talent playing at the very top in the Champions League, like Neuer, uh, Kimmich, Goretzka, Gnabry, Muller, Sane, Havertz. Like, there's problems with this team. It's in a transition. There's no question, but you can't say that they can't call on some pretty special talent.
2: Yeah, I'm interested about one of the youngest of those, uh, Jamal Musiala. He's the one where I feel like this could be like the leveling up moment for him, where he joins the ranks of like of some of the, the real, if he's not there already, like some of the real European elites. He's just 19. Uh, he just became the youngest player ever to make 100 appearances for Bayern Munich. He's had 20 goal involvements this season, the most of any of the German players, and um, I don't know. I think this could be his moment to really take center stage. Like, obviously, everyone in the Bundesliga and the Champions League, people are certainly aware of him. Um, but his form is hitting a real peak at the right time. And if it can continue with this German team, he may leave this tournament as as one of the big winners uh, from like a, a you know international perception perspective. Because like when you talk about the greatest young players in the game, I don't know. He's not like he probably should be mentioned, but I feel like oftentimes he's overlooked. And this well- is a chance for him to change that it can happen when you're in the Bundesliga. I guess, I guess
1: so. There's I lots mean, that of is a, great... a, it
2: is a legit it's a great league, of it's one Of course
1: there Yeah, but of course there is, but we know that there's there's lots of great football going on uh around the world, Andrew, with some really good young players, and sometimes it gets ignored because there's a vortex called the Premier League. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Uh let's see uh, obvious weaknesses with this squad. Um I I've gone with st- I think at striker. Okay. I mean, they'll have to spread the goals out amongst the side, which they can do, but they don't have like an out-and-out goal machine up front, uh, and they haven't had for a while. Centre-back for me is going to be, well, I'm guessing, and it's not for me, it's for Hansi Flick, um, Schula and Rudiger. And I'm not sure I love the Schula side of that equation.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: That would concern me a little bit.
2: Um. I came across something that was interesting to me so like when i'm thinking about the strengths of this german team like joshua kimmich is is a name that immediately comes to my mind but yeah. um i was reading the uh the guardians preview on germany and kimmich like he comes under like real criticism in it um i'm reading here from them that they say joshua kimmich is a tremendous distributor of the ball, but has come under increasing pressure because of a perceived weakness in Zweikampf or challenges, tackles. Philip Lahm has told him to, quote, work on his defensive tackling, while Marcus Babel thinks he lacks, quote, tactical discipline. Sam uh has said he does not have enough, quote, tactical maturity. Those are, like, significant names that have significant criticisms of this player that we think is really, really good. So, uh, by no means, I'm not going to say that Kimmich is a, is a liability but like there are there are holes in his game i suppose you could say that uh, could leave germany exposed at certain moments now That's he might be good enough to make up for it at the other end in attack but you know it's it's one of those things to watch if he could ever be caught napping um, for an attack to come back the other way and bite them okay so yeah just something because i've
1: him down as the best player on the team
2: yeah he he he, he might be Although I don't know that I I guess I would feel uncomfortable saying that right now after having just read through those criticisms, Um, we'll get to best player on the team in a sec. uh, But in terms
1: of team selection, anything that surprised you here? Um, I I suppose I I know he'd been kind of more more visible. His form since he went to um, back to the Bundesliga has been really good, but Mario Götze. Getting back in after being in exile since twenty seventeen feels yeah. like a great story, um, if less great because injury has denied Marco Royce again. So, Goats might be in it if Royce was fit. No, um, no Timo Werner as well. Yeah, Timo Werner with a, an injury uh, at the worst time possible. Yeah, uh, Joshua Hoffman. Not that he's a surprise that he's in, but his story—the uh, right winger uh, from Borussia Mönchengladbach—only made his debut. For the German team in 2020, and I think he would have been 27, he's 30 now, so it's a bit of a late bloomer, but could be a very interesting addition and is in excellent form.
2: Uh, no Mats Hummels as well, left out, yeah,
1: no maybe space, a little,
2: little bit surprising. Um, yeah, maybe a little. Um, and then okay, what you alluded to before, I'm curious now, the best player on this team, you say Kimmich, huh?
1: Well, for me, like I've always considered him, and I'm, I'm, very ha- happy to be, you know, to be proven wrong or for someone to give something else. But in that German side, I think him, I think of him, and I know he's not that old, but something of a of an elder statesman of a of a presence in that midfield, and I love watching him uh, pass the ball around. I didn't realize there was that many criticisms flying about about his def- the defensive side of his game, but for yeah. me, he's. He's been he's kind of the the centerpiece of the midfield.
2: Yeah, uh, that's always how I viewed him too. But people who know far more about this stuff than I do have some have some concerns. So I feel like I can't say him. Uh, I'll say Musiala just because of what I. I mean, I feel like with this German team, there's probably six or seven different answers that could be correct. But I'll just say Jamal Musiala just for kind of what I was talking about before. I just think this is going to be a big moment for him. Where people outside of, outside of your Bundesliga loyalists will finally see what those people have been seeing all season. I'll say this also. I mean, you know how I talk about Anthony Robinson's importance to the U.S. Because after him, there's not a lot of guys who do what he does at that position. You mentioned before the center backs, like with this German team. That's kind of how I feel about Rudiger. Like, I don't know that he's necessarily the best player on this team, but he's a damn good center back. Incredible speed, also for that position. Um, and so I just feel like, in terms of like his importance to this team. I don't know if anyone is more vital than what Rudiger is to this German team because that's that's a position where there's not much after him of, of real quality. Okay. So I would look at him. Um, you ready for some Germany World Cup trivia? Oh, I love it. Okay, here we go. Uh, here it is, JJ. The 7-1 destruction of Brazil. Five All different right, Germans okay. scored that day. Let's have it. Name them.
1: Fight them. How many different Germans?
2: They scored seven total. Five different guys scored.
1: All right. So two guys Um, had two goals. Uh, uh, had two. I know very good. Um, and I know, I know Tony Kroos had two. That's right. Um, I'm guessing Muller was there. That's right. I'm guessing, um, I'm guessing old man Closa was there too. That's right. One more. Oh god. Um, um oh, it's someone now that's not like an out no out no goal scorer that doesn't score a lot. Yeah. Uh is a midfielder. <laughs> uh Kadira. Yeah. Are, are you looking this <laughs> up? Are you look that up? Wow.
0: Is it Kadira?
1: Is it Kadira? Yeah, it is. I I'm not looking it up because I remember us doing a breathless podcast on that. Still can't believe that that all happened. It's one of those games that I, will forever live in my mind. Oh, I still don't believe it. I still don't believe it. Um, I nearly said Emre Can. I'm not even sure he was in the German squad at that time. I nearly said Emre Can. Um, unbelievable. I, I that that was just a truly stunning, and it was. It was made all the more awful by the camera man, men who panned to the squad. And those were in the days when a camera would pan to the squad and it would or to the, to the stands and it would usually be for an attractive lady and it would linger far too long. But no, it was like men, women, and children weeping. It was, it was it definitely
2: was, the, it was the, the weeping capital of the, of planet earth for that one. It day. was,
1: it, oh no, it was truly uncomfortable because, the scoreline was just so bizarre, but, um, yeah, that team just from
2: minute, like, what was it like 20, that 20 to 30 minute range in that game where it all just, it all just unraveled. Like they just completely came up. Like you witnessed just a team crumbling before your eyes and German, you know, we know how they are. They're ruthless. (laughs) They are ruthless. And we, it was on full display that day. I'll never
1: forget it. Can Um, I ask you, um, just like Juice Fontaine's thirteen goals, seven one is too much, isn't it? For we're World Cup semi-final. I mean, it's too much, Andrew. You can't have that.
2: It felt three it
1: one. Was... would have been a good battering. Seven one. It's too much. But the seven. It's it tells the story of, the of what happened that day. Like you needed. I, it, it,
2: it's like so, a team completely came apart. Like you. It needs to be more than three to to accurately tell you just how how convincing and just how devastating that was. It's got to be a number that you just can't believe.
1: I think yeah, 7 is a World point. Cup final. It's supposed to be the pinnacle of football. You can't have a 7-1. It was interesting. We um, I tweeted out maybe last week or the week before, uh, your top three World Cup games of all time. And I had like things like Belgium and Japan in it. Oh, boy, and I think yeah. it might have had Spain, Nigeria from 98 in it. Games like that you know, 3-2, whatever. And so many of our listeners had the 7-1 in. I'm like, how? It was such a weird, bizarre, like, it's memorable, yeah, sure.
2: That's that's You're right. Like, that's the key. It, it would never be on my list of greatest games. It would be no. maybe number one on my list of most memorable games. Like, there's a, dis- right. there's a definite distinction yeah. between great and memorable. Um, but so weird to me, by the way, Andre Schurler retired at 29. Like, you never see that in this sport. That's just such a weird thing. He's retired
1: a few years now at this point.
2: Oh, yeah. 2020 was his last season. Wow. Yeah. Um, Let's see. I I do have a couple more here, JJ. Um, Oh, sorry. uh, This German, this current German star has scored 10 World Cup goals, but strangely has never scored in a European championships. Who was that? Thomas Muller? Yeah. Isn't that weird? Weird. That's so strange.
1: strange. Yeah
2: um And then JJ, the 1990 World Cup was not exactly known for its goal scoring, but that was not the case for the Germans, who notched 15 goals across seven games en route to their third World Cup title. Who led the way for them in goal scoring in that tournament? Jürgen Klinsmann. No, Lothar. Mateus. Rudy Fuller.
1: Who? Oh, Matthias. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. All right. I, I, yeah, I think Jürgen was third
1: for them. Uh, he so was. There... Uh... God. Yeah. You know when you hear. Uh... Americans, uh, you know, say someone from the Midwest, let's call him Clyde, and you meet him in a bar, and he's a lovely fella, and he asks you, oh, you, you know, are you, are you into soccer? And you say, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I can't watch it. Too much flopping. If he'd have seen Klinsman, uh-huh. I mean, in that World Cup, oh, my God, Andrew. <laughs> Like, borderline disgrace. Yeah. You know we say a lot of things in soccer disgrace they're not a disgrace that oh disgrace game's gone. Game's gone. Embarrassment. <laughs> he did one flop against Argentina that got a player sent off. Now, he was tackled badly but he 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 did like the worm on the turf.
2: The worst I ever saw I think it was the 2002 World Cup. Um I think it was Rivaldo. Rivaldo. He was getting oh. ready to take the corner and someone it's kicked the Turkey. ball at
1: him. Yeah. And he went down clutching his face. When the ball hit like his waist. Oh pathetic. Grabbed
2: his face, went down. Like that that to me, that's that's the worst that I've seen. Yeah. That one. Yeah, that game's gone. Game's gone.
1: Number one song in Germany right now, Andrew. Romstein. No, no, no. It's an artist called Peter Fox and it's called Zukunft Zukunft Pink featuring Inez. Okay. Zukunft. Uh, A German uh, rap hip-hop effort by a man with ginger hair. It's catchy enough. uh, It's got a nice clubby beat. Uh, Zukunft meaning future in German. And let's hope there's a bright future for this German national team. Mm. John? Uh, That'll do it for the top six,
2: JJ. Now, I did say that there were a couple teams just barely outside of that window of um, odds of plus 1,000 or better. The the Dutch are plus twelve hundred, Portugal are plus fourteen hundred, and Belgium are plus sixteen hundred. Um, ha- what do you make of any of that? I, I guess Belgium is the one that's most interesting to me. I just wonder, like this was again that that word, golden generation. This was it. Has the window closed on that, or is
1: this kind of is this the last gasp? It it kind of feels like it it may have closed. I mean, this team this team feels past its sell by date with De Bruyne and Courtois carrying the side somewhat. Lukaku just back from injury. Eden Hazard is a part-time player at Real Madrid these days. If it's a midfield of Witzel and Tielemans, feels like a lightweight midfield. And then you've got Aldo Vareld and Vertonghen kind of bolstering the back line. Or not bolstering it. They they're, Their their mainstays there, and they do seem past it. So you're wondering, can Roberto Martinez get young players like... Uh, Charles De Ketelaere and Jeremy Doku to give him something at this World Cup. Will he utilise them? Uh, might he go for the inform uh, Voutfess at centre back, the Leicester player who's been really good, and um, maybe Leandro Trossard gets gets some kind of a look. But they definitely feel like I don't know. They this, they feel like it's over. This the window is, has closed.
2: This is probably a conversation for another day, probably when the when the World Cup is over, but i'm i just I'm curious to get your thoughts now, let's say Belgium like they have a normal world cup like they're not they're not a disgrace, they're not the talk of the tournament they're they're just fine for whatever we think their expectations are, and that's kind of marks the end of this era of Belgium like when it's all said and done, there was so much hype and hope for this group of Belgian players. The question of whether or not they fulfilled it, I think will be debated for generations to come. Because I think you can make a really good argument for both sides of it. Like if you look at Belgium coming into this era, didn't qualify in 06, didn't qualify in 2010. Never had they been past the round of 16. They were generally, well actually no, in 1986 they were fourth, I take that back. But for the most part, they're kind of, a, they're either a didn't qualify or they're a group stage exit kind of nation. So that's sort of like, the prism through which they were viewed. And then this generation comes along quarterfinals in 2014, third place finish in 2018. We'll see what happens here. But like I said, let's say maybe it's a quarterfinal appearance. We'll go with that. Like, is that enough for, for this group or will there it, always be kind of that thought of, ah, I thought they'd be better than that.
1: I, I, I think, I think there's their genuine feeling that they, they should have done more. I think I think there is.
2: I mean they got they, um, they got to the semis and finished third in 2018. Like you're kind of saying I, anything short of Belgium getting to a final. I
1: which, think they like, were unlucky that they drew France in that semi-final and they'd expended so much energy in in beating Brazil, but I I honestly thought and and they only lost 1-0, but if you remember if you remember that game, they the, the Belgians seemed to have a lot of the ball but did nothing with it and and couldn't break that french team down um i mean maybe it's maybe it's just a case of they've had their best period of players when when their neighbors have been really good too and that's and that's difficult
2: yeah like i said it'll, it'll be debated for for generations to come um i know i had mentioned the dutch portugal uh, i would tell people for those if you want us to go deep on them your chance comes later this week. Get your mail in, send us your tweets CO soccer pod, hit up the reddit page. I'm sure there will be threads going uh, for mail bags for uh, for
1: that upcoming special World Cup mailbag special coming up later this week and I will drop a I'll drop a tweet and you can add in all your all your uh, questions for the mailbag on Thursday and we will talk about Portugal and the Netherlands because I want to talk about the Netherlands in particular sure yeah we
2: we absolutely will God, Louis van Gaal so says
1: they can win the tournament. Well he should be saying that he's their manager. Yeah. A lot of belief there, a lot of belief there. Uh yeah. and one other Dutch thing is that uh, uh Ricardo Pepe scored again. Yeah, for Groningen.
2: Yeah, it's funny to say that. I, just before we started recording, I was watching his uh he was asked after the game about not made not making the the US squad. He was pretty calm. And he was. Yeah, he took the questions and he, you know, he basically said he felt he did all he could, so he's It seems like he's kind of of the approach that like, well, I I can sleep at night because I know I put myself in the position to do it. It, You know, it's it's tough. I feel terrible for him. Um, Was not an easy call. And he could have he could have just as easily been on it on this on this team as Haji Wright was maybe even more so uh,
1: way more so way more so. I think he's got a legitimate grievance.
2: Yeah, that's a tough one. But, uh, yeah, all that uh, all that will be covered over the course of the, the next week or so. Like we said, keep checking your feeds midweek, later in the week, and then Sunday at 9 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, check out our YouTube page. Turn your notifications on. Subscribe because we'll do a live edition of Caught Offside on YouTube that night to get you ready for USA and Wales. So Tuesday podcast, Thursday podcast. Well, yes, but when the people will see it, So, Monday morning, Wednesday morning, Friday morning, live Sunday night. Good. Just wanted to be clear. Got it. (laughs) Got it. And by clarity, you chose the route of telling people the wrong day.
1: Yep. That was my method to get you to clarify things, and I think I was successful. Brilliant.
2: Genius. Genius move by you. Hey, this this was fun. This was a lot. This was an awful lot. But (laughs) you know what? The contenders of a World Cup, they deserve an awful lot. They've earned it. Uh, and I'm sure this means just as much to them as as to whether or not they actually go on and win this thing. Is that we devoted the most time we've ever devoted to really anything on this podcast as we did to this. But it was fun, my friend. Lots of fun. Hey, JJ, to you, I say.
1: Number one in Belgium right now is Unholy by Sam Smith and Kim Petras. <laughs> Dark, dirty beats. You feel like it's building up to a serious drop? The drop never comes. Pass.
2: I'll see you later, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.
0: Hold up.